morning, church family. Um, I am very excited about this message this morning. We are making our way through the Psalms and through First and Second Samuel, and um, I'm going to read the Psalm in just a moment. But before I do, I want to tell you something about this sermon. This sermon is, um, I would say, the most practical sermon that uh, I maybe have ever preached in this, that there are principles that we're going to see in First Samuel and in the Psalm that are going to be drawn out that are principles that will affect every relationship and every day of your life. So these are principles that will guide us all the time, and I'm not going to speak particularly to any of the situations in your lives this morning. What I'm going to do when I, when I get to the point of applying the sermon is I'm going to apply it to us as a whole family, as a church body. But you're going to hear the principles, we'll draw them out real clear, and you're going to do the work of applying them in your own life and in your own heart, Okay? Principles from these two scripture passages that have to do with our walking with God, our relationship with God, that um, just speak to everyday life. And yet I'm going to apply them to us as a whole church family. So would you turn with me to Psalm 57, please? I will, I'll end up retelling the Samuel passage as a part of the sermon. This is one of those psalms where we do know this is exactly what was on David's lips as he was going through what he goes through. Because if you look at the beginning of it, uh, in my translation, right under Psalm 57, it says, For the director of music, to the tune of Do Not Destroy, of or by David, a miktam, which is just a Hebrew word for a type of song. And then it says, When he had fled from Saul into the cave. And if that sounds familiar, it's because he was in a cave before and he's back in a cave again. Different situation. Uh, And we'll hear more about that in a minute. But what does David pray from the cave? Have mercy on me, my God. Have mercy on me. For in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. I cry out to God most high, to God who vindicates me. He sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends forth his love and faithfulness. I'm in the midst of lions. I'm forced to dwell among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They spread a net for my feet. I was bowed down in distress. They dug a pit in my path, but they themselves have fallen into it. My heart, O God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Awake, my soul. Awake, harp and lyre. I'll awaken the dawn. I'll praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples, because great is your love, reaching to the heavens. 
Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Amen. Yeah, amen. From the back of a cave. What am I doing putting that down there? I need that. (laughs) I need that. So I want to start by um, reminding us of a story that I I know I've shared at least once, but it's a story that keeps coming back to me um, and I I think speaks directly to what David's going through this morning. It's a woman. Her name's Florence Chadwick, and she was the first woman to cross the English Channel, swim across it and back. First woman ever to do it. And she decided, she's from California, and she decided on July the 4th, 1952, that she was going to try the second leg of sort of the triple crown of swimming. The other two are um, to swim around Long Island, long distance, 26 miles, and to swim from the Catalina Islands off the coast of California to California. So July 4th, 1952, she gets in the water, boat crew with her, and this massive fog descends. The way the currents are moving that day, the waters are bone-chillingly icy, freezing cold. Fog, can't see anything, and to make matters worse, sharks are swimming around her. Now, they were prepared for this, and so um, several of the crew members on the boat have rifles and actually spend time shooting at the sharks to keep them away from her. Okay? A couple of miles into the swim, it's 20.5 miles, she starts to get sick and nauseated, and they realize the boat's leaking oil, and it's making her sick. So they fix the leak, and the sickness goes away, and she keeps swimming and swimming and swimming, and she starts to get delirious with fear. Not because she's actually delirious, but because she can't see anything. The fog is so thick that she can't even see the boat that's 15 feet away. It's that thick. And so she's thinking to herself that she's swimming in circles as she's swimming. And they're telling her, just keep going. You're doing fine. Just keep going. She can hear their voices, but you can't see them. And on and on and on she goes. And she swims for 15 and a half hours. And at the 15 and a half hour mark, she says to her crew and to her coach, who's her mom, I can't go on. And they implore her. You are almost there. You are doing so well. Keep going. You can do it. And she says, I cannot do it. And after going back and forth and back and forth, she comes to the boat and says, pull me in. And they pull her in. And she realizes within a few minutes that she was less than 0.5 miles from the shore. She had swum 20 miles and given up less than half a mile from the shore. And she said to a reporter later, look, I'm not excusing myself, but if I could have seen land, I would have made it. I know it. Sometimes we lose sight of where we're going. We lose sight of the mission or of the calling that God has for us. And in the losing sight, we abort God's calling or his plan. So we're going to look at David's calling this morning, but I want you to hear these words from Ephesians 2.10 where God says, We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which he's prepared in advance for us. God has calling 
and purpose for every single one of our lives. And he has calling and purpose, shared purpose for us as a church family. And one of the things that we're going to see is that everybody who's called by God faces similar dynamics in terms of aborting that call or the temptation to abort the call like she aborted the swim short of the goal. And so everybody who's called like David to work with God has this mission, this calling that they're moving toward. David's calling is, you're going to be king. And here is David this morning, still not king. We've been following him for what, six, seven, eight weeks? And he's still in the desert. Nothing seems to have happened to move him toward being king. And now he's on the run again and he's hid out in a cave and he's in the back of the cave and it's dark and his men are with him. And you are not going to believe this, David. Saul, it's Saul. He's coming in to take a dump. Like this is it. This is crazy. Now's the time. The Lord's delivering him into your hands. And there is this mighty moment of temptation where his people are speaking words that they say are the words of God. And in fact, they are not the words of God. They are the words of the enemy, but they're coming into his ear. You take the moment, take control You take control of your own destiny. He's being delivered. Kill him. I think for a minute, looking forward of how this foreshadows Jesus and Peter. Jesus has just finished saying in Mark chapter 8, Who am I? Who do they say that I am? And Peter's the one with the answer on his lips. He says, You're the Messiah. You are the long-awaited Savior and Deliverer of the world. And the very next thing that happens is Jesus says, yes, and I must suffer. And he begins to teach them about it. There's going to be a period of suffering. And Peter rebukes God. And Jesus turns to him and he says, get behind me, Satan. Jesus has the ability to discern his thoughts and to know what comes from God and what doesn't. And this is something everyone faces at the level of their thinking. Are my thoughts from God or are they not? And David has got thoughts coming out loud from people around him saying, now is the time. And he creeps forward, facing this temptation, wavering. His whole call by God stands on this. Will he decide God is not moving quick enough? God is not moving the way I'd like him to move. God promised me I would be king, but he hasn't delivered me the kingship yet. God, yeah, yeah, it must be God. It must be. And will he or not? And we know the story. He sneaks up. Saul's garments are likely not with him because he's relieving himself. And he cuts off a corner of Saul's garment and he slinks back into the cave and he's faithful to not abort the mission. One of the ways that we can abort God's calling on our lives is by seizing control out of God's hands. We, we do this all the time. And I'm not going to apply it, but you can think about 
your own families, your own relationships, the own things that you're praying for, and the ways in which we don't wait on God to fulfill his promises and his timing for things. But the waiting that we're called to do is not passive waiting. And so there's another way in this passage, another dynamic, whereby David is tempted to abort the mission God has given him, to abort the calling. And that is this. To give up hope. To stop believing that what God had spoken now so long ago, and which maybe because it was so long ago has grown faint. When you first hear God speak something, when he impresses something on your heart, it's strong. The further you get from it, the less clear it becomes, the more faith it takes. And faith can begin to wane. And hope that God will come through can begin to wane. And you might not seize control and take, take things over in your own hands. But that's not the whole picture. That's half the picture. Faith, continuing to believe and to have hope that what God promises and says he will do, praise. Biblical faith, praise. Always. So no prayer equals no faith. If you believe, if I believe, if we believe God is sovereign, meaning he has all power, and he's given a call, or he has a purpose, that means we're praying for it to come. There's a dynamic here that runs throughout scriptures that I want to point to for a minute, and it starts in Genesis, where God creates, and then he gives Adam and Eve stewardship over the garden, and he says, here it is, and he hands over dominion. He wants them to rule. God calls them into conscious participation with him. His purposes are going to get worked out in the world through Adam and Eve. He puts power in their hands. They give it up. God restores it in Jesus. And we see that when Jesus commissions, he says, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples. Well, how does that authority get worked out? How do God's purposes come to be on earth? We have a beautiful picture of it in the Old Testament where Israel is on the way out of Egypt toward the promised land and they're attacked, they're ambushed by the Amalekites. And Moses says, Joshua, you lead into battle. There's the action. And he goes, Aaron and her come with me. And he stands up on a hill and he intercedes. And when his arms are lifted up in prayer, they're winning the battle. And when his arms come down, they start losing the battle. What does God want us to see? That action and prayer go together. That prayer precedes action. That faith prays. And that when faith prays, God moves or works. Why has God ordained to work this way? I don't know. He's sovereign. But I tell you, I think it's because of his goodness that he wants to draw us into participation with him. Like Jesus said in John 15, I've told you these things so you can share in my joy. In other words, it's joyful to work with God. It's joyful to get close to his heart and say, oh God, this is what you're like. This is how you want to move in someone's life. This is how you want to move in a neighborhood. This is how you want to move in a nation. Well, God, I'll pray for that. And what an awesome and mighty call it is to know that God would use my feeble little prayers to change history. 
Two women in a church in Chicago 100 and something years ago went up to their new pastor, D.L. Moody. That might be a name that's familiar to you, Moody Bible Institute. He was a shoe salesman that God called into the ministry, and um, things weren't going anywhere, and the church wasn't changing. And two old ladies came up to D.L. Moody, and they said, Pastor, he said, yes. They said, we want you to know we're praying for you to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. He said, thank you very much. I don't need that. Um, I'll, I'm preaching the Word of God. And they said, okay, Pastor, and they honored him, and they just kept praying. And every once in a while, every, every few months or a year, they'd come up and they'd say, Pastor, we just want you to know we're still praying for you to be immersed into the power of God that he has. Finally, one day when his ministry wasn't changing, he went home and he got on his knees and he said, God, I need all that you have to offer so that my ministry will be effective. And there was no fireworks. There was just D.L. Moody saying, God, immerse me in your power. He got up to preach the next Sunday and entirely different spiritual atmosphere in the church. People responded to the call to come to Christ. And if you know anything about D.L. Moody, you know that he became a worldwide evangelist and that millions of people heard the gospel through the simple shoe salesman's lips. I want to point back to the old ladies who are praying because God put it on their heart. God gave them a vision and a call. Two old ladies pray for our pastor to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And the fruit that came from it. Okay, so temptation number one is to take control. We don't think God's moving quickly enough. Temptation number two is don't pray. David is in the back of a cave and he avoids number one. But what does he do with number two? This is beautiful. He prays from the cave. And I want us to see this morning that he shows us something beautiful. He shows us what our role in prayer is. And he shows us what God's role in prayer is. And he shows us that when the two work together, what the fruit is. So here's our rule. Verse 2, I cry out to God. Well, that's pretty simple. We've been talking about lifting up our souls, our minds, our emotions. I turn to you. And I, I talk to you. I don't turn just to my neighbor or my family member or my friend or the internet or the chat forum. I cry out to you. I go to you first. Verse 1ab, I cry out for mercy because I know you. I know your character. I know what you're like. And I know that you want to be asked for that. So I cry out to God. I lift my soul up to him. I ask for mercy. And 1c to e says, I take refuge in God. And I think this is so beautiful because he's in a, a cave. But the cave isn't the refuge. And he's got a sword, but the sword isn't the refuge. The Spirit, who is God, is his refuge. You will be my refuge. So I cry out to God, I lift my soul to him, I hide in him. And then verse 4, he's honest. He names his real situation. He's not hiding behind anything or pretending things aren't better than they are. I'm in the midst of lions. I'm forced to lie down among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. He's not painting a pretty picture here. He's engaging God and saying, this is exactly what it's like. This is what I live with. But he knows who God is and that this is not what God would have him live with long term. And so that's why he's reaching out to God. He names his real situation. And then verse 1F, I take shadow in the refuge of your wings until the disaster has passed. 
So he's waiting on God. He's not taking control again. Notice that. He's waiting on God for disaster to pass. And then this, in verse 5, he seeks the glory of God no matter what. I think this is so beautiful. He is in the back of a cave. His life, again, is under threat. He has nothing to his name. And he says, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Oh, that that was the cry of our hearts when we were in trouble, when we were hurting, when we were threatened. Be exalted, O God, whether by my life or by my death, says the Apostle Paul. Be exalted. Be exalted. So he shows us how to pray. Seek the glory of God. Reach out to him. Trust in his character. Open yourself up to receive from him and seek his glory. And if it helps to have these principles sort of laid out, I can write that out in a sheet after the sermon next week, okay? Um, For those who are writing them down. This is God's role. Verse 3a. Sending from heaven. He sends from heaven. Again, there's transaction. God is responding. God is sending care, protection, love, strength, encouragement, deliverance. He sends. He vindicates. God rebukes enemies. 3B. God sends his love and faithfulness. He sends it. You need it. We need it. We ask, and he sends it. God, I'm weak. I need. Jude says, build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Build yourselves up. Remind yourself. Stir up faith. Reach out to God, and he will fill. He will provide. He sends his love and faithfulness. And then verse 9. When David says, I will, as in the future, praise you, Lord, among the nations, I will sing of you among the peoples. I believe he's prophesying about his future. And he's saying, God, I believe that the day will come when I won't be hiding in a cave, when I won't be stuck in the dark, my life being threatened, but there will be a day where I will stand up freely and I will publicly praise and glorify your name before all people. So, What is God's action? Fulfilling his purposes for us. It's not on us to fulfill them. It's on God to fulfill them. David says, I will. And I open myself to you. And God will bring that about. What's the result of this? I think the result of this is verse 7 and down. Actively seeking the Lord, crying out and waiting for him, results in A, a steadfast heart. Just a steadiness. I'm not blown and tossed by everything that happens to me. By every time my life comes under threat, I'm steady. I'm steady in the Lord. A steadfast heart that worships the Lord. A steadfast heart that testifies among the people, that revels in the love and faithfulness of God, and that hungers for the glory of God to fill the earth. Now, it would be really 
tempting, easy to say, why such a prolonged period of desert season? Why such a, uh, a long, drawn-out process, difficult, painful process of um, waiting for God to bring about the fulfillment of what he said to David and what he says to us? And I, I want to suggest to you this morning that God has deep, deep purpose in these wilderness seasons, particularly for David, that this is a time where God is preparing him, even testing, but also preparing him to reign as a king over his people, to be a shepherd after God's own heart, that he's going to be over several million people. And he's going to be a man over those people who has learned what it's like not to lead out of his own strength, out of his own willfulness, out of his own decision-making, out of his own taking control, but to be a man who leads from his knees. He knows how to work with God. And um, that's a lesson that God wants each of us to learn as individuals, but it's also a lesson that I believe God has for us as a church. And I want to talk a little bit about the season that we're in right now. We have calling from God in this place. And you've heard it off our lips many times in the last few years. God has a calling on this church that we would be and become a house of prayer for all nations. That the, that the praying of this church, the ministry of this church would have not just a west side impact, but a global impact, that we would plant churches, that we would send people. God has that calling on this church. And he has a calling on this church that we would become and be an Isaiah 61, 1-3 church. That beautiful passage about Jesus. God's anointed me, his spirit's on me to bring good news, to bind up broken hearts, to set captives free, to loose people from dark prisons, to bring comfort to strengthen, to push away despair and replace it with praise. This ministry of Jesus that we watched for two years when we went through the Gospel of Luke. And you've been hearing us say that, and we've been praying it for years. Years. And there could be this sense of, when, when is that going to like really take off? When, when's that really going to... I mean, we see like... It's like on the front end of a, a, a storm, you see raindrops falling, you know, before it really downpours. But sometimes it can feel like, when is the rain really going to come? We spent a season praying for revival last year as a church. Are we experiencing it yet? No, not very much. And so I feel like God has put calling on our hearts as a church. Some of us have been here decades some have come in in the last few years and some in the last few months and so we're all kind of hearing this and rehearing it at, from a different place but God is calling on us as a church family and I feel like in this season it could be really easy for us to lose sight to take eyes off of the shore that Florence was swimming toward when the fog descended now, do I think there's a wholesale fog that's fallen on, on us as a congregation? No. But I do want to note that this is sort of a 
to feels like a, a season where we're more internally focused than outwardly focused. We've we've um, felt God's call to establish and become separate from our parent church of 90 years, and that's taken three years of writing policies. Fun, no necessary, good and and um, needed for saying who are we and how are we going to minister? Yes. So lots of work, and that's internal, underneath, behind-the-scenes work. And the deacons have sprung up and began and developed ministry over the last couple of years. Well, that's not something we see a whole lot of on a Sunday morning, but a lot of work happening there. And we said we want to pray, be a, a church that prays that, uh, for people and brings God's healing. And so healing prayer ministry has been growing behind the scenes, 10 people taking a year course And do we see a whole lot of the fruit of that? Not yet. Not yet. Actually, we're going to commission that team next week, 10 of them, to ministry. Discipleship team. Andrew Sisson leading a team of people in praying for over a year. Lord God, what do you want discipleship to look like at this church? And finally, we're just about to start hearing in the next few weeks about how that team envisions that we would grow as followers of Jesus together. So there's all this sort of behind-the-scenes work happening in our life together as a congregation that we're not necessarily talking about. And I, and I also want to just kind of note that there has been sort of a, as we've been more internally focused, there's been sort of a, a peeling away of some folks who were ministering with us or worshiping with us for quite some time. You'll notice faces missing. So God has graciously, in answer to prayer, brought in new people as we've been praying for them. If you're here, it's because we've been praying and asking God for you to be here. But there are others who've who've peeled away. Yeah? And so just the simple truth is, like, numbers-wise, we're not growing right now. And um, numbers actually are important. Because numbers are about people and about people receiving the grace that's in Jesus and having their lives filled with his love. And so we do want to grow. okay? And so I want to say to us this morning that it could be really easy for us as a congregation to sort of take our eyes off. Where is God taking us as a whole group of people? He has calling on us and he has calling on you to be a part of us and to use your gifts. And the first way, before you name your other gifts and find a place for using them, the first way that God calls you is to pray. In the Lord's Prayer, he teaches us to pray, Our our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then he says, pray for your daily bread. And I just want to ask us to just look at our prayer life and evaluate how much of it is for my daily bread versus the kingdom of God and the will of God to be done. I think we're pretty faithful and growing in prayer when it comes to terms to praying for ourselves. But I want to ask us, how many are praying for the kingdom of God to come as it's expressed through this church family and on this west side. You don't need to put up a hand. 
David is showing us over and over and over again that the way of walking with God and seeing his kingdom calling, his purpose fulfilled for us, the way of putting one arm in front of the other is the way of intercession, of prayer, over and over and over of saying, God, you have purposes. And it takes time, and it's not easy, and it takes intentionality, but it's following Jesus. When he, when he um, the last night before he died, he, he got down in front of his disciples, and he washed their feet. He served them. This is the way of Jesus, and I want to suggest to you that prayer is the way that we do this for other people that we serve them by laboring in prayer. We serve them by crying out to God over and over in prayer. And God doesn't call us to pray for the whole everything. He's given a specific calling here as a church, that we will become a place of prayer, that we will become a place of healing, that we will become a place that makes disciples who make disciples. And so pray for it is what you're hearing the Lord say this morning, that we are not in danger of betraying the vision that God has given us as a church by taking control into our own hands. That we stand rather on the other side in the danger of just stopping from praying. Of just saying, well, I'll let other people pray. Uh, That's not my call. But God has that call for all of us. And I want to close with this story. Um... Florence Chadwick. Lindsay, could you come stand up here beside me for this story? Florence Chadwick, who tried and failed 0.5 miles from the shore, two months later got back in the water, and wouldn't you know it, exact same frigid icy conditions the exact same fog falls and the sharks are still present florence chadwick swam for 13 hours and 47 minutes and she smashed the men's record by two hours two hours she smashed the men's record when she was asked How did you do it in the same conditions as last time? She said, I kept the vision in front of me. I knew land was there. I kindled faith, in other words. I couldn't see it, but I kindled faith. And I want to suggest that um, this image of a baby about to be born, you know, is is a real beautiful image for us to look at because it's something that has been prayed for and labored over and that yet you cannot bring to birth in your own strength or power but a time is coming when baby will be born and you have a role to play in continuing to pray and to trust and that we as a congregation believe the Lord that he is bringing something to birth in the spirit realm on earth. He is birthing something through our faith. But as I read the gospel of Mark, which that's where I'm in my, for my devotions right now, this is what I'm seeing all over the place. Jesus either couldn't work because of their faith, or Jesus said, your faith has healed you. Your faith, it will be done to you as you said. To the Syrophoenician woman, he said, because of the words you have spoken, 
And so I just want to ask us, what are we believing God to do? And I want to call us together as a church family, believe God to do, come here, to do what we have witnessed in this man over seven years in dozens and hundreds of people. Angry, drunk, afraid, controlling, demonized, free, filled, trusting, praying, loving, evangelizing, leading others to Jesus Christ. When we pray for the glory of God, this is what we're praying for. We're not praying for some like luminous glow or something or brightness. The glory of God is his character. The glory of God is his willingness to come and bring to birth a new life and to fill it with love so that it can't help giving that love away. That's the glory we're praying for. And when you get to be a vessel of that love, you get to taste it too. That's what we're praying for. And so I'm calling us, the Lord is calling us this morning, believe on me and pray and you will see the glory of God in this church, on this west side, and believe you will send people to the nations. Believe, and he'll work through our faith. Let's keep praying. Let's just pray right now. Let's pray. Lord, we believe you. Lord, we, um, we don't look at the, the walls of the cave and say that's reality. We look at who you are and say you're the one who delivers. You're the one who um, is our refuge. You're the one who protects. You're the one who gives calling. Lord, we don't look at what we can humanly see. We don't look at empty seats. We don't look at physical things. We look at you, God. You who can transform our families and our neighborhood. You who can pour out from heaven faith and intercession. You who can raise up a small band of believers and make them bring glory to you all across the world. And so we just pray, come afresh, Holy Spirit. Pour out, stir up faith, strengthen us as we come to your table now to feed on you, Jesus. Strengthen us for our individual lives and for our life together as a church family. Praise you, Lord. Amen. Amen.